The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. You're here with Emma Hurd, the host for today's show. I hope some listeners out there are awake and keen to call in for a chat because we have some great guests here in the studio. Later in the show, we'll be chatting about some plants that have been brought in and as well some things to do on the autumn gardening list. So let's wander down the garden path together and I'll introduce today's guests. I have the pleasure of introducing Stephen Wells, Back to the show. He's a nurse, horticultural therapist and garden coordinator at Austin Health, plus gardener, garden designer, writer and dabbler in various other horticultural pursuits. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome. And we've also got a new guest for today, Sandra Swarth. Uh, she's a landscape architect at Andrea Proctor Landscapes, an educator and a gardener. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. And we've got Evan Gorky here. Uh, founding landscape architect at Oka Landscape and experienced horticulturalist. Welcome, Evan. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. It's a pleasure. How are you all? Very good. good. Very good. I love, love mornings that are foggy because you know that once that clears, that blue sky is coming. Yeah. Yep. Cracker gardening day. Yep. Get up. Put the kettle on. Start planning what you're doing. Put the, put the beanie on. Yeah. Well, especially important with lack of hair. Correct, yes. That is a good contextual thing. I'm follically challenged. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, nice to stay snug. It is. How about you, Sandra? What have you been up to in the garden? Um, just tidying after Mad March and yeah. um, playing catch-up in April. So, yeah. yeah, just mowing, although my, my lawnmower really carked it yesterday. So oh, no. that'll be the next job for next week, fix the Do you have... Mower. Do you have a petrol mower or an electric mower? Electric hover. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's broken. Yeah, it actually came apart yesterday. Oh, no. <laughs> I went, okay, oh, no. I can't fix that. <laughs> oh, goodness. So do you think, this is something I wonder quite often, places to take things that can help you, you know, either help you yep. fix them or repair them for you. Yep. It seems few and far between these days. There's a few more repair um, workshops, I guess, yeah. around, but yeah, it's, it's certainly one? tricky. Well, that's my job yeah, for that's this week is to try and find out where it is, yeah. or can I 
dare I say, YouTube it. Yeah. <laughs> well, YouTube's amazing, isn't it? I mean, yes. you can fix just about anything if you jump on YouTube. <laughs> I, I think that's something that, as much as the, I hate the internet for, for various <laughs> reasons, mm-hmm. um, fixing things is fantastic and you can learn so much. Yeah. Yep. It's one of those things you type in how to and it's as soon as you put the F, it's then fix, and then there's a list of yes. numerous <laughs> things that just automatically pop up because if there's right. something that can be fixed, someone has put done something yeah. to show how to fix it. Yeah, that's right. That's Whatever right. it might be. But at least the grass is slowing down. Like the growth should be slowing down. Or have you got cool season grasses up. that are going crazy? Yeah, no, I just had to catch up. Like right. I hadn't because it's been so wet. <clears> um, <throat> I hadn't done it, so it was it was pure catch up, and so it was massive. <laughs> So yeah. Dad's there doing the last tiny bit. I was like, please, can you go mow the last little bit that didn't get mown because it got broken? <laughs> so Good thanks, on you, Dad. Dad. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I kind of like this kind of, this time of year because things start slowing down, but there's yeah. still mm-hmm. lots of lots mm-hmm. and lots of things you can do in the garden. You know, yes. Last night I was still there at dark sort of digging up and, or just pulling out some Dianella cerulea and, mm-hmm. and just sticking it in the ground in various yep. spots. But, you know, it's just that really easy time of year to garden. There's nothing yeah. hard about it and you don't have to be very vigilant because you don't have to water it. Correct. <laughs> it does its thing. own thing. Putting in some plants the other day and I was like, I should. I actually should put some water just to, because in my mind I'm going. That's what you do. Yeah. You plant and you water. And I go, but it doesn't. Like the pot was damp and the soil was damp and moist. That's good. I'll do. I need. To? Yes, I still will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it is important because you know one of the things about watering in plants, why you do it, not just to make it wet. It's also to sort of take the air pockets out. Correct. Yes. So, so if you give it a really good soak, you sort of push that soil down. It's kind of compacting it in some yep. ways, but it's taking yeah. air Absolutely. pockets out. Air pockets left next to the root ball make it dry out. Yep. When yeah. when it's when it's not raining, so that's yeah. why you do it, not yeah. just to give the things a drink. Correct. You just got to not overdo it when it's <laughs> weather like this. But yeah. it's good digging weather because often, <clears throat> like in comparison to summer, mm-hmm. whether the you know you put your shovel in and you go, okay, it's going to take a bit more effort to dig that hole. Mm-hmm. This is a nice time of the year to dig and plant and put things in so they so there's a little bit of moisture, sorry, moisture, that's not the right word, a um, bit of warmth in the mm-hmm. soil still mm-hmm. um, just on that cusp. So putting it in now and then going, you guys can just rest, mm-hmm. ready for spring yeah. or actually late winter because often the, as we know, the roots will move before the shoots. That's right. Well, you'll so, actually get root growth now while the soil's still warm. Yep. Mm. So that that's the key. That's why autumn's such a great time to plant because Correct. you get the root growth. You might not get a lot of upper growth, but you get the root growth and then come spring, they're much more ready to yep. to take off. Mm-hmm. And so planting in spring, you know, a lot of people, like, oh, I'm going to plant in spring. I always think that's bizarre. Mm. You really want to plant in autumn. Correct. Yeah. Well, if you know what you're doing, you can pretty much plant any time of year. Yes. But, um, yes, this is a desirable time to be yes. planting. Well, if you're lazy time, yes. like me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, I'll still do some in spring. Maybe a little bit of summer. I'll yeah. Still do- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, we, you know we're Maybe. always looking for a spot for those plants that we buy that we can't resist and we go, yeah. I don't care, it's the wrong time of the year. I just bought it. Mm. I need well, to find a pot of spot. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> That's very true. And I shouldn't just say if you know what you're doing. Sometimes you don't know what you're doing and you just do it anyway. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, your most life's of my to be lived. Season yeah. planting is out of ignorance. <laughs> yeah, but just for <laughs> but the I passion. Can get away with it sometimes. <laughs> I think the hardest thing, and, and a lot of landscapes get built through summer. Yes. In, we've had three really cool summers. <laughs> 
which yeah. has been very, very favourable for large landscapes like what we are involved in. Um, I'm not looking forward to the to the heat that will come mm. eventually. I mean, we haven't had it. Yep. But it's horrible when you go out to site, you know, a new school or something like that in a greenfield site mm. and, and, you know, 400 trees go in it two metres high or 1.5 mm. metres high and the northerlies are just, you know, sending yeah. them sideways. <laughs> and you, you know, know it, that even terrible. having drip irrigation isn't going to help that. They really need deep watering for the first six months, you mm. know, yep. and they're set for a long, hot summer at yeah. that point. So. Yeah. Have you yeah. tried the um, the bags around the trees that get, like, the water bags? Yeah. Um, I saw them overseas a lot, but they're, yep. they're starting to come in here. Yeah, they I wonder are whether for our summers they might be quite useful. Yeah, we mm. certainly use the, um, the, the wells, the, the plastic... Um, Wells mm, that go that around them. I mean, yeah. um, no, the bags are different. So the plastic, oh, okay. the plastic. Uh, these are like plastic sleeves mm-hmm. that you put around, and they just go down yep. a little bit. Uh-huh. Why they're really good is if you've got, and, and bags are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got, if it's a council site or so on, mm-hmm. um, you know, the council person can go there, pour water until it fills up. Yep, exactly. And then they can move to the next tree. Yeah. So there's, so it's kind of, it's easy. Yep. You know, where this, oh, I'll stand here for X amount yep. of time, More time and then move on. So, well, it's th- also an really amount good. that they, like, it's easy. You just go, I just need to fill it yeah. rather than yeah. I need to stand here for X amount of minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's an easy gauge of I've got to fill it and then I move on. That's nice right. And, nice Cause, and easy. Because one of the things we find with drip irrigation, if, if trees are in beds, on new sites where soil has no structure yet, mm-hmm. yep. the trees drown. That's the most, yeah. that is the most common reason why trees struggle in large landscapes Mm. because they drown Mm -hmm. because contractors and fair enough they're really concerned about drying out Mm -hmm. they might dry out so they crank up the irrigation it's not unusual to go into a big Mm -hmm. site open an irrigation box you know those uh, square boxes or rectangular boxes in the ground that have the solenoid valves or taps in them or whatever yeah and they're filled with water (laughs) that's right absolutely filled so that is through the whole profile it's not just there it's through the whole profile because soil is like a sponge. Mm. So, you know, it's like when you're washing your car and you you, you, you grab the sponge and you squeeze it out. Um, if if you if you lift it out, whatever falls out of it is beyond field capacity. What's called yep. field capacity. Mm-hmm. So, so your soil will hold so much water until it gets mm. to a point like a sponge where it'll just pour out. Mm. But it'll hold a heck of a lot before mm. it gets to that. And that's, you know, that's the, the risk for yep. most plants. Mm. Yeah, well and truly at capacity. And then mm. <laughs> the poor things drown because yeah. they need, yep. you know, they need oxygen as well down there. That's yep. right. But the other mm. great thing about those sleeves and those bags, because mm. the other thing that kills trees in public landscapes and so on is brush cutters. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they essentially ring bark them, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. I have got so many photographs of trees in schools and, and places where, you know, they've just ring barked them. Yep. So by putting a, a, a sleeve around them, uh, yep. th- these sort of wells, um, it, it does prevent that. Yep. Yeah. And are they slow release as well, those wells? Because that's, I guess, the trick with the bags is that it doesn't... Doesn't drown the well, tree, as yeah. you said. Well, they are in that they um, it, it just soaks in as the soil can take it. Yep. Yeah. So okay. I guess it is. But it's working it with the capacity of the soil rather than just inundating. I guess. That's right. Mm. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But brush cutters. I think it's the people on the brush cutters, not the brush cutters themselves. <laughs> that that are yes. <laughs> so I've used the um, with planting some trees um, 
semi-advanced trees putting in some of the, the plastic rings around the base, not um, for that reason. One to, or dual, because it actually, with the, the physical well that I'd planted, put it in with, it, then when I was hand-watering, you'd so fill it and it would say it's stay in that space. Mm. But it also meant that then there was a protection zone. Nothing mm. was hitting up against that, mm. um, the trunk, and for a long period of time, so that then it wasn't at risk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the thing about the bags that always worries me is that you seem to uh, leave a lot of the stem wet for a really long time. Okay. That's the only thing that I've never okay. used the bags, but yeah, that okay. is the, I mean, I imagine they work, but that is the thing that worries me about the bags. Mm. It's like pushing That's a lot of mulch enough. up against tree stems. True, yeah. the pressure yeah. against it. Yeah, yeah, and just the moisture. Would have some, some impact. So is there an yeah. inner ring for the wells then? Or? Yeah, I, I, there isn't, but I think they drain out much more quickly. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so being, being the difference. Yeah. Hmm. They sound like they're uh, overall a good thing to use. Mm. Um, mm. I wonder if at-home gardeners would use them, you know, like maybe if you're planting some really mature trees that you've spent quite a lot of money on mm -hmm. that you really want to safeguard over, mm. over the warmer months, it yeah, could maybe. be worth doing. But mm. it's not really something I've seen on the market in like retail spaces for no, I feel like for, it's more a management yeah. thing for councils and things yeah. like that to make it easier. Yeah, I think you can buy them at the big hardwares. Okay. Yeah, they come in two pieces. Okay. And they have like a little sleeve that okay. puts them together. Yep. Well that's good. Um yeah, so I think you can you can get them. And certainly I have seen them in residential places, um yeah. where they're planting in lawns. Yeah. That's where right. I'm thinking. Yep. Yeah, as that's well, where you, like, that's where they're most useful. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Planting in lawns. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. wise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there you go, listeners. If you are keen on planting something, and especially in a lawn, and you want to have a water well, then, yeah, visit your local hardware store. You never know. You might pick one up. Mm. I was going to say the other thing, from a, bringing it back to home garden context, often the principle of that is then what I've often applied with um, watering, but with having like a plastic container that I'm re reusing and just putting, punching some holes in it, yeah. that I fill that up, sit it next to a plant or a new, so it's not sitting against it, but it's in the root zone or that area and I'm wanting to keep it moist. And you just, I might be a 20 litre, 30 litre container yeah. and you just sit it there, fill it up. Yeah, same principle. Same principle and mm -hmm. then just let it gently soak through rather than mm -hmm. it being a, 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 a rush of water at one stage of yeah. putting the hose on. Um, yeah. So scaling it back that way often. Bit of a DIY version. Yeah, it's like sticking the plastic bottle. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. Filling it in and it's a bit of a funnel, so. I mean, the plastic wells also are just an adaption of the, the <laughs> I guess, more traditional way of doing it is just mounting up soil mm -hmm. around it, just outside the, the, pot, the pot size. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it might be 80 mil high or something yep. like that, and you fill that up and then it slowly drains away. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. And for a home gardener, that's generally how you would do it. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, mount other, up around it. The other thing I've seen on the market for more so at-home gardeners is, um, I think they're called olas, and they're like a terracotta mm. urn that you bury close to the root ball of your plant, or maybe you pop it, you know, <coughs> quite close when you when you plant your plant, and it's got a little a little cap on the top and you can refill it but because the because the clay is porous yep. slowly seeps mm. out they seem like a good mm. good option bit more expensive mind you but 
They look really nice. Because yeah. <laughs> good little lasting and maybe that bit slower. Yeah. Well. yeah. Although, yeah. Yeah, I imagine that um, depending on how dry your soil is, it works really well with the transfer of of moisture yeah. because of the the type of material. Um, but yeah, I liked the look of those, and they have really nice little designed tops on them. So in your garden bed, they can kind you of be a little. Them. Yeah, like a cute little a feature, like they've got yes. little finials on top and, you know, if you're a designer like me and you like cutesy things, then... <laughs> They're a subtle feature rather than having big plastic containers around yeah. your <laughs> like I was suggesting. Yeah. They're a bit right. more aesthetic. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. what I think. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So you don't poke them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By accident. Yes. Yeah. 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 A pretty way of saying, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um... Yeah. Well, while I think of it, have any of you got any garden announcements or like events coming up or things that you want to tell our listeners? No, no announcements no? from my side. No, I haven't come across any. That's all right. I don't know if, you, if you're talking about Botanica happening at Ripon Lee today. That's oh, right. yes. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Tell not us sure. more. Well, I'm, um, it's, I'm not sure if it's a one-day or a two-day event. may mm-hmm. have started yesterday, but it's definitely on today. It's at Ripon Lee. starts at 10 o'clock, I believe. And it's lots of plant stalls, mm. uh, book sales, which I know a friend of mine's trying to get in early. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of associations, friends, um, etc. Fantastic. We're we're off to have a picnic there with um, Therapeutic Horticulture Australia. So oh, we're going to meet up and picnic while that's happening. Do you know if that has a cost for entry? It's free entry. Oh, fantastic! As, as far as I'm aware, mm. I can. Um, Stephen looks like he's checking. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, no free entry. Um, I don't believe it includes the entry into the building. Yep, just um, a gold coin donation okay. upon entry. Perfect. And you're at 10 till 3. Yes. So yeah. I've, I've been before, so, and with the day that it's going to be today, I think it'll be really lovely. Yep. Um, lots of people. The only thing I would say is um, check out where your parking is because parking around Ripping Lee is quite hard. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just because it gets really busy and it's tight even on, on a good day. Mm, good um, advice. But, yes, yeah, so public transport or lots of people on bikes maybe. So. Take your bags and yes. buy lots of plants. Yes. And yes. books. People with trolleys and bags <laughs> yep. galore at that, at that event. So, and yeah. so is that a plant fair? Is that what it is? Sort of, yeah. Yep. I, think, I think that's the predominant sort of mm-hmm. idea behind it. But it's basically all planty things. It's not just. So there's food stalls. I think a bit of entertainment for the kids and then also um, a few uh, like stalls around the place that, you know, book, old, uh, uh, secondhand books and, mm. and things like that. Mm. So, it's just yeah. such a beautiful landscape to visit <coughs> though as well. I think my favourite thing about it is besides the lake and the interesting grotto that's like on the far side yep. that you can go up, there's also the beautiful fernery. Yes. It's just that's stunning. That's my favourite. Yeah. yeah, looking forward to one. The driveway is wonderful as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. It's just a sweeping, tree-lined kind of just takes you automatically into a whole different feeling than the road that you've just come off of. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and there's actually quite an old fig in there as well, with, right. with really high buttresses. That I remember we spoke to a staff member about. I think that was, um, yeah, quite. Quite old and, and beautiful as you as you come round from the house to the driveway, so come, almost coming from the other side. Yep. But yeah, it's really mm. lovely. That's that's a great event. I'm so glad you mentioned it. Thank you. I'll roll on with a few more that I've jotted down. So uh, of course today's Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there. Yes. 
I thought if you are uh, a child that has forgotten to buy your mum a gift, maybe you'd like to buy your mum a Friends of the Royal Melbourne Gardens Friends Society a membership. So uh, their memberships are available at rbgfriendsmelbourne.com and they're $70. And you get access to discounted walks and talks. You get 20% off discount at their annual plant sales, um, at the, the Terrace Cafe, at Jardin Tan and at their beautiful little shop. Um, so that could be a nice gift. And there's so many events. So I'm going to mention an event that's coming up shortly. Um, the friends are hosting their pre-loved garden book sale on Saturday, the 20th and the 21st of May. And that's happening from 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. at Mueller Hall. And you can enter via the Oak Lawn Gate, which was formerly known as Gate F. So there is a lot going on with the Friends. Um, you can check out their website and see all their events. Uh, the website, again, is rbgfriendsmelbourne.com. Uh, so, th- you know, that's a fun, yeah, fun thing Yeah, it's a nice idea. There's also um, Cranburn Friends. Yes. You could, you could also join. So if you're more an outer suburb yeah. person, you could, you could join the, the yeah. Botanic Gardens of Cranburn Friends, which and is it- a great group. Yeah, they're just a beautiful community and there's all sorts of things like they have a photography group, they've got uh, a bird watching group, you know, whatever you like to do, botanical art, yeah, and craft at Craft House, they make um, beautiful baskets that they weave and and like you say, art that they do. Uh, so yeah, and you can be involved in propagating plants for their yes. for their markets, which is is a learning experience, of course. Yeah, so wonderful opportunity. I remember doing being a growing friend for a few years at the Botanic Gardens, and wonderful um, energy, but also an amazing amount of experience yeah. um, with wonderful people that you just kind of soak up learning opportunities from and going. Yeah. So yes, you're learning about plants, but you're also <clears throat> excuse me, learning from those that you're working with and volunteering with and it's just mm. brilliant. And just connecting with people. I think that's that's what plants do for people is they connect each other. So that's a really nice experience I find. Mm. So I've got another couple of events. Uh, so my community, which is uh, an applied mycology group, are going to be hosting some events called Fungi Forays which are ID and foraging workshops. Uh, They're going to have various events throughout the year, but one that's coming up is from one of our regular guests of the show, uh, Greg Balderson. Uh, Greg, as many listeners will know, has extensive experience in identifying mushrooms and runs regular mushroom walks in Mount Macedon. So his fungi foray will take place on the 20th of May. So please visit uh, myco, which is M-Y-C-O, .org.au and click on events and courses for more information and to register. So that sounds like a really good one. I'm looking forward to that. I think I might go actually. Um, And we've got a couple of events by Encouraging Women in Horticulture. So uh, coming up on the 25th of May, they're having a a tour of wholesale nursery hearths and um, ball nursery. And that's going to take place from 9.30 a.m. until 12 p.m. And you have to drive yourself between the two nurseries. But uh, it's set to be a fun day. And um, you'll learn about 
sort of the state of the art technologies that these two nurseries are using for large scale propagation and a distribution of like a vast array of different species of plants. So uh, a bit of a behind the scenes look if you're keen. Um, and then Encouraging Women in Horticulture is also hosting a mental health webinar on the 7th of June at 8pm. Uh, the importance of mental health has become especially apparent over the last few years, but it can be difficult to help someone or yourself when you can't identify the state of mental health that you're facing. Join us and mental health clinician and consultant Garrett Tan for a free webinar focusing on the mental health continuum model. So for more information and to register to either of those encouraging women in horticulture events, please visit www.ewha.com.au. So, yeah, that's, Excellent. that's what's coming up in the, in the month of May. <coughs> Very exciting. So now we'll roll on to some things that have been happening in the past, but still relevant and interesting. Sandra, you had a garden at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show this year. I did. I, I threw my hat in the ring for the Balcony Garden Competition, sponsored by Ryman Health. Um, yeah, bit of madness. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, great adventure and um, yes, no, it's been really good and it was a really nice project to do with my dad. Yeah, so. I'm keen to hear a bit more about uh, the ethos of your design. So yes. I remember uh, that it, the focus was not using any new materials. Correct. Yes. So, so yeah, pretty much decided uh, pretty quickly within the design to do. I called it Flexi Nook um, because I wanted to make it a flexible space. But then within that kind of quickly went, well, how am I going to pay for this? And also, how do you not be completely wasteful within the process? And so, yeah, uh, pallets it was <laughs> and started collecting, which I had lots of questions from mum and dad every now and then going, are you sure you need another one? <laughs> yes, we need another one. The vision, I've got the vision, it's okay. Well, it was also just really hard to figure out how like how many pallets. And yep. I have to say I don't have an answer to that as to how many pallets the design took because, yep. um, because we were aiming to get the maximum length out of some of the pallets. You, you aren't always able to save the entire length yep. of a, a slat. Uh, so, you know, one pallet didn't necessarily mean one pallet worth of wood. Um, but, yeah, overall, we the whole thing uh, was made out of recycled pallets, which I treated in various ways. So I did a, a paint wash, a full paint, and also shusugi barn, which is the scorching technique. So I felt like a full adult for the film. A fun <laughs> visit to go get myself a blowtorch. Yeah. You're allowed to use matches. Yes. Oh. Well, I, I didn't Sorry. use matches, actually. It was constantly <laughs> clicking the gas lighter. But, um, but, yeah, no, that was really lots of fun. And, yeah, once I sort of had decided that, it was a case of, right, I'm not going to – everything's going to be recycled. Luckily, around mum and dad's uh, council, they were having hard rubbish right around that time. So found myself the top of a – which was basically brand new. It was obviously just for install. Somebody didn't need it, the top of a washing machine. So that became my fold-out table. And thanks to Stephen's <laughs> help, figured out how to actually make that happen on the stall. Uh, and then the the ceiling, for example, was uh, bed slats that had been painted. Yeah, cool. Uh, when I realised I needed a roof – I kind of did a quick panic, went for a walk that evening, and that evening there was actually recycled, like somebody had got rid of their um, 
the oh, sort of see-through carbon fibre type roofing. So yeah. picked up that on my way home from the walk and went, well, look, you need it and the world gives. Yeah. There like laser is. light. Yeah, yeah, that's the one, yeah. And then actually in the end, Dad had had redone his as well, so and which was in slightly better condition. Um, but, yeah, so basically everything was recycled. Mm. Uh, a friend had given me some uh, hanging baskets that I turned into Stephen-inspired uh, plant balls. And, yeah, everything else was basically what was at Mum and Dad's mm. already, like because they tend to keep a lot of materials as well. They're not hoarders, but they... They just hold on to stuff that you think, oh, Thrifty. that could be useful. That's yeah. Thrifty. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so basically the entire, other than screws and obviously the insurances and um, getting the stuff tagged, the actual display itself cost just under $6, I think, for, which was basically a book <laughs> for for staging. So, wow. I, like, I got them from an op shop. Um but yeah, so it was yeah, it was a couple of books and a couple of pots, and that was it. Because everything else was either donated, um, done from cuttings, done from finding materials. Yeah. So. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. that's incredibly yeah. impressive and testimony to what you're saying, which is like if you have the time and the dedication to do it, yeah. things show up. Mm. Yes, and I, I guess the one thing is just for for me and Dad. We, that's what we do. We do do-it-yourself yeah. projects. So it was a, a great one to step up from our mini library that we'd done yeah. and go, right, we're doing a bigger version, Dad. Yep. <laughs> let's let's go. Um, mm. So, But we had the time. Um, yep. And I like even though Mifkus was in um, the end of March, I started in January mm-hmm. because – and I realistically – could have used a bit more time again just mm. because of the, the treatments that you need to do because obviously you do need to send and, and that sort of thing. But I yeah. uh, was really surprised at how good – I mean, look, obviously pellets aren't amazing wood, but they're really good wood. Yeah. Like it just – some of it came up and people were looking at it thinking that's not pellet wood and it, yeah. was, it was actually really beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, they don't fit. need to go to the tip. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, yeah, so it was it was a really good lesson for me. But you d- you do need the time, but um, but it's really worthwhile. And also, yeah. if you don't have a deadline, then it's the perfect way to to go about it. Yeah, because you just do it as you find it and as yeah. you need it. And that's the thing. Like you're you're designing something to show uh, at home gardeners. Like essentially, yeah. Mifkus yeah. is is showing people what's possible. Yes. And a lot of the people visiting. Uh, maybe they don't have the funds to pay a designer. So it's nice to have something that they could do themselves. Yeah. <coughs> you know? And the wonderful thing, you know, I love going to open gardens. I love going to the uh, Mifkus, the Flower and Garden Show, mm. for the idea of getting inspired and, and being a creative person, which is often what gardeners are, is you're going there and you're going, oh, I like that idea. I, I I don't want to do it exactly. Mm. I want to tweak it mm. I, for my spot, for my garden. or And so you're seeing ideas. And so for the balcony garden, so you, I'm not sure whether you mentioned, but the size of it is literally like an inner city balcony. Yeah. So it's about, what were the dimensions? I think it was about uh, 1.2 metres by 2.5. Yep. So quite literally a really little pocket that mm. you go, well, I, it is a small space. What can I do? Yeah. Yep. And you get an idea of... Um, how you can use different materials and what it could look like by things like the balcony garden competition. Yep. 
um, to go, oh, actually, it is achievable. I can do that. And look what look what she's done. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, Because, yeah. yeah, what you also had in your design was a little pocket of pocket door. Yes. That the, the slim cupboard. The slim yeah. cupboard that hid yeah. your, your, your chairs. So when you're looking at small spaces, you're going, well, how do you fit everything in? You go, yes. well, you can be versatile. And So, yes, it's a great example of a... Um, uh, of an idea of an ideas bucket, yeah. yes, yeah. you've got this bucket of ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so and what yeah. plants did you use through it? Uh, so I had two different pots um, that basically it, the idea was also that it, so it had a um, a long running win- like window balcony box <laughs> that had most of the plants in it. Then on top of the um, the cupboard that Stephen just mentioned, there was also like little jars for propagating. So there was some epipremnum and some Tradescantia ready to propagate in water in there. Mm-hmm. And the the actual planter box had uh, two types of, of boxes, uh, plants in it. Uh, that one was that would get more water and one that would get less. So basically one was sort of a mix of succulents, which was aeoniums, um, some of the Senecio, the blue chalk sticks. Mm-hmm. And sorry, I've got my list here because I, I don't <laughs> always remember the full names. Uh, the curios uh, were hanging on the outside, a um, bit of Kalanchoe in the succulent mix. And then the more water hungry was the, um, and I've gone blank again, bromeliads. Yeah. I knew it was a bee. <laughs> <laughs> I did this the other day. Uh, yeah, the Tradescantia pallida. Uh, and epipremnums mm. in there. So also looking at climbing, um, trying to extend the green view, but uh, quite consciously looking at just grouping plants together in terms of management for water. So mm. on the outside was the more heavy watering and on the inside were the, the dry ones. Mm. So. so I guess mm. what you've shown there is that you can start a garden in January <laughs> <laughs> and yes. the plants that have been chosen are all super easy to just yep. literally snip off and stick in the ground. Correct. Correct. Um, Which and, is exactly and, what I did. Yeah, and things like aeonium. I mean, you can take, uh, you know, two-foot lengths of that and stick it in the ground and it survives and thrives. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so if, you, if you're doing a really, you know, you know garden that's cost-effective yes. on yeah. your balcony or at home, yep. you know, succulents are a really good way to start. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you can really do a lot with yep. them. You can buy them. You can procure them from friends, neighbours, from walk the, past the and snap neighbourhood them off nursery. <laughs> the neighbourhood yeah. nursery. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You can knock on someone's door and go, oh, my goodness, I love that plant. <laughs> well, so much. Where where can I get it? And, you know, that if they're a happy gardener, they'll probably go, look, Here here's a go. piece. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah. you go, oh, yeah. wow, then and you've got this new, new plant neighbour. You know, I've... Could I take a, a small cutting? Yep. I'd love, I'd mm. love what happens in your garden. Yeah. Mm. I'm yeah. Than happy to. Yeah. The other great thing about using plants that are cuttings for a balcony is not having to lug pots Correct. all the Correct. way up to mm. your apartment. Well, it's a very yep. good point. It's a very good point because often um, that is the practicality. <laughs> mm. You know, if you and if you're living, as in you own it, or if you're renting it, so as a renter, mm. if you've got a collection of pots, yeah, you've got to be pretty. You've got to balance the enthusiasm with the, oh, my goodness, I've got to move these one day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yep. um, mm, and the yep. practicalities of lifts and stairs. and yep. So, yeah, very good point. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. the other thing from Mifkus, and I know it's a 
it's just the way you set up there, but it's it's also quite useful for balconies is that the window box or the balcony box, it did have the pots in them. So you could mm. actually, it gives you that flexibility to change around. Like, yes, you need to lug them, but it's like mm. if I'd filled those boxes with earth, the t- yep. bump out would have been a nightmare, whereas this yeah. way it was not pull, yep. pull the pot out. And it looks, it you know, it made a complete picture, yeah, yeah. but doing it with pots mm. so that you've got, it's a, it is a really a, flexible planting space. Absolutely, and it's often a trick that I do at home. Like I've got an outside container, like I said, as in a, an external container that is might be a, a basket or a yep. um, a metal um, vintage grape container. I'm thinking of example. I don't plant them up. Yep. I just put my plastic pots in them. Yeah. Because then I can move them. Yes. <laughs> I can change them around, but also they'll survive in that situation. So I know that they'll live, yep. give me the visual of it, mm. but also gives me the flexibility to go, I would like to do some rearranging. Let's Correct. move you it around. Some new mm. succulents. Correct. Or yeah. let's... Some different succulents. Yeah. Um, my neighbour just gave me. That's awesome. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it's savvy gardening. Yeah. And, a good and, example of. and succulents don't necessarily need to be grey. I no. think that's the other well, thing. Uh, yes. I mean, you know, jade plants, for example, are a beautiful green. Yep. Correct. You know, to I did have. actually have some, a few of those. Yeah, in there jade as well. plants are fabulous. I have them yep. at home, you know, fill up areas. You can even make little low hedges, not, you know, not tight hedges. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, yep. but, but you can have a really lovely line mm. of them. And, mm. uh, and they'll do it in shade, they'll do it in scorching heat. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, and then you've got all the ripsalis. I don't know. Did you have ripsalis in? Yeah. I did have. I think yeah. it was a type of ripsalis um, as a, as like a really long hanging one. But yeah, yeah no, it was a it was a nice mix. I think visually of what you're talking about yeah. of having some sort of white silver, some of the obviously the purple pallida was coming in, mm. um, but then also greens yeah. in yeah. between. So and the aeonium in the dark, in, yes. the, in the burgundy yeah. colour. Yeah. So That's what I love about succulents is that people <laughs> often mistake them as just boring plants, but you go. Mm. They do flower, but they also have mm. some incredible foliage mm. variation, mm. Um, yep. colours and shape and textures. Yeah. yeah. Um, so often things like the purple hearts, the Tradescantia pallida, mm-hmm. beautiful purple, mm. great replacement for a flower, as in if you're wanting a vibrant colour, yep. mm. you're not having to, you know, you, you look at the palettes and you go, I don't need to rely on, it does flower when it has a nice little pink flower, but... Mm. You don't need to have like that gives you colour when it may not be able to be evident with flowers mm. yep. or not rely on it. Yeah, wanting the flowers to be that burst in mm. a green um, palette mm. of planting. Mm. And the the ripsalis that you mentioned, Evan. There's a there's quite a variety of different mm. ones, and then their flowers are really oh. gorgeous. Mm. Like they they don't flower. As frequently as I would like, like I reckon, <laughs> I reckon they True. flower probably every second year yeah. rather than every year. But gosh, when they do, it's worth the wait because mm. they're so lovely. Yeah. And Maria, the um, ripsalis is the does the flower come from those lovely little berries that yeah. they almost get as well? They're stunning just in themselves. Yes. Be, even before they flower, yeah, they're like, like little jewels. Yes, yeah. like yeah. little pearls. That yeah. You can get yeah. on there. I yeah, Ripsalis is a uh, interesting plant in that it is a succulent, as a cactus, if you like. But mm. it comes—I think it's from South American. Yes, mm. comes from the tropical rainforests, but it grows up in the canopy. Mm. Yep. Yeah, they're so like an epiphyte. They are an epiphyte. Yeah. So, so really, you can put them in sort of a fine orchid mix or something like mm. that, and hanging in the house. 
where you don't have to water them very much. And as you say, they come in a variety of mm. shapes and sizes. I've, I've probably got about 10 different ones um, yep. hanging around, literally. Yeah. Um, and they come in a you know a really broad leaf or a really yeah. cylindrical leaf. Um, yep. Some ha- are quite hairy. Yeah. Um, and and they gen- generally hang really well, so they yeah. really lend themselves to being in um, hanging baskets or hanging bowls. You know, you get a really mm. nice ceramic bowl. So you got about ten. Which yeah. is your top one? Oh, look, I don't actually don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know the names of them. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. Someone um, else's one. <laughs> Do you? I, I should I say, think, what I is, think but the favourite. The favor- there's two favourites, both of which are a broader leaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is a li- little bit like ribbon grass, if you like. Yes. You know that grows oh. in, in in rivers. Yeah. Um, so it's a it's a long uh, leaf. It hangs very straight down, like a very straight lady's hairdo. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, the the leaves are about say eight millimeters across. Yep. But they can be like two foot long. Wow, and and they just hang directly down from the mm. pot. Uh, Beautiful. They're no good outdoors. Like the broader leafed yeah. ones are, are no good outdoors. So okay. I guess that's to be you know you want to th- think about that. They don't like the real cold. Sure. Mm. Um, the, yeah, they'll the, start to snap off if they get cold. They just yeah turn. They do. Yeah, yep. yeah. The and cylindrical leafed ones seem to be a lot more uh, resilient. Yes. And uh, in my like father's garden. He had some that he must have had for 30 years or longer mm. that was just growing on a, uh, an old uh, tree fern stump in, under some shade, shade cloth down in Yarram in South Gippsland. Yep. So fairly close to the ocean, so not super cold, but pretty cold and wet place. Mm. But because they're just growing up in the tree fern, laying down, uh, that was huge. I mean, the yeah. plant was um, a metre across, wow. half a metre tall. So, you know, they, they can get quite big, and that's neglect, really. Yeah. You know, like he wouldn't have done a lot to it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it grows really, really well. So you can grow them outdoors, which usually those little fine cylindrical, mm. and I think the greener ones, not the, the hairy ones, don't seem to do as well okay. outdoors either. Yep. Yep. Um, but, yeah, Ripsalis is, I just think, a stunning group yep. of plants. It's mm. a great plant. Mm. Well, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show and I'm running late to open up the phone lines. (laughs) My name's Emma Hurd and I've got with me Stephen Wells, Sandra Schwartz and Evan Golke. And I invite you to call and have a chat with us. Our number is 9419-0155 or you can text us on 0488-809-855. And if you want to send in an email... Our email address is 3cr.gardening at gmail.com and emails will be answered in the next program. So, um, yeah, give us a call anytime now. I do have a correction to make. Uh, when I was making the announcements before, I said uh, rbgfriendsmelbourne.com. It's actually rbgfriendsmelbourne.org. So thanks to our lovely texter that uh, messaged in with that correction. Sorry about that. Um, We've also got another text saying, Good morning, panel. Loving the show today. And a question for Evan, please. Can you please recommend some shrubs and creepers to cover up a chain link fence? It's the boundary of a primary school. 
The kids routinely eat the flowers, leaves and fruit of the plants that grow on the grounds, so they need to be safe for grazing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's normally about pets in those questions for grazing, isn't it? Human grazing. Yeah, look, I reckon... um, no, I mean, I don't know where it is. I'm assuming it's somewhere in Melbourne. Where, yeah. Is the Texas there a suburb on that? No, there's no, no suburb. It yeah. says the plants will be growing on the southern side of an acacia, so part shade. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I Probably the go-to would be one of the clematis, one of the indigenous clematis, mm. Aristata or Microphylla. Both fabulous things. You know, Microphylla is about to burst into flower now. Uh, it's it's budding. Yeah. Um, so that that would be... Um, a really good choice. A fine I think. leaf too, so maybe not as attractive to be nibbled on. <laughs> yeah, but they are very yeah. hardy and quite tenacious plants. So you know, mm. if kids are picking them regularly, they're not going to drop dead. They'll mm. they'll keep going. Yeah, <laughs> but also I, interesting. Like they're mm. a fascinating flower and, and mm. seed pot on them, so they would be of interest for them as well. Yeah. So I guess the thing to avoid would be things like um, Chinese star jasmine. Um, because yep. it's got that milky sap. So it really wouldn't be one that you'd probably want um, there. Although, you know, great plant for semi-shade to grow up yep. on, mm. on, a, on a fence like that. Um, I mean, you could use, if you wanted it quick, you could use Canedia. Um, Canedia um, nigricans mm. is an amazing thing. It just rockets. Yep. Uh, might might uh, pose a little bit of work uh, down the track, but I think with those bigger... Uh, climbers that you can use. Again, not a super heavy climber because you don't want it to be a super heavy one on a chain mesh fence. You might pull it over in the wind. Mm. Um, But the idea with those climbers that really go to town is that you want to let them go to the top and rather than snip them off at the top, you need to be brave and patient and let them hang back down. Mm -hmm. So often what happens with native climbers is that they race to the top and they they end up with bare bums. So and that will generally always happen. You know, Hardenbergia is a good example yep. of that, unless you're onto it all the time. Mm. But if you can let it go up and then actually trail back down, yep. um, you get you get that coverage as a secondary, if you like. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit more, it looks more graceful. Mm. And like you say, you don't have that bareness at the stems. Yeah, yeah. At the base. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, they'd be they'd be two reasonable choices. The, the mm. Canedia though is is a rocket machine, so you know, yep. it does grow very very fast. Yeah, they're good recommendations. And, and big. Mm. Do you have any yeah. others, Stephen? No, not no. heard to those. Yeah, no. they, they, I can picture those two, mm. and think that'd be great. Yeah, other shrubs. I mean, maybe some fruit trees. Probably not a citrus tree though, unfortunately, unless you can find one without. Without thorns, mm. I think the Eureka lemon doesn't have thorns. Has less. Has less thorns. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then I always remember that, that idea because it's like Eureka, yay! There's yeah. no thorns. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like minimal. Yeah, yeah. there's very few. Minimal. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Very few. I mean, the other thing, if if there's space, um, would be um, your columnar apples or crab yeah. apples. I mean, yep. they they are really really good. True. Uh, you could also espalier. Onto the fence, yes. you know, talking mm, about shrubs. Fruit. There's no reason yeah. why you couldn't espalier any of the fruit trees, really. You know, plums mm. or apples or pears. You know, pears are wonderful. Yeah. Um, uh, keeping in mind that you probably won't get any fruit because if it's in the, the possums and so on, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll take, them, <laughs> take them over. But, Before I mean, the kids. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and it's just gone completely. Yeah. Well, passion fruit would be the other uh, mm. good example. You know, passion fruit is a wonderful climber. Again, mm. a lightish climber mm. to go on a fence uh, pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I think one of the really common problems with, with um, passion fruit that you see all the time, people say, why is my passion fruit not fruiting? Mm. And uh, you go over and have a look and it's a really sort of uh, fingered leaf, very finely fingered leaf yep. that's mm. on it. And what it is is the rootstock. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And the rootstock grows extremely vigorously mm-hmm. and takes over and yeah. suckers everywhere, pain in the neck. Yep. Um, and so if you... Grow a passion fruit, keep an eye on it because yeah. they will grow off the side if they get a little bit of damage yep. and they'll take over. Uh, but passion fruit, are the other thing. Depends on what you're growing it for, though, I guess. If, well, if you true, want the foliage, then true. perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It would cover it really, yep. really well. I mean, the other thing they could put there is raspberries. I know they're a bit raspy, mm. but raspberries um, go to town, yep. true. sucker everywhere. Well, it's, but they would, they would, you'd be able to feed them up through. Southern each side, year. would they? They like a bit more sun, would they? Yeah, yeah. Although they hate getting fried by the sun, uh, the heat yeah, as okay. well. So yep. they'd probably yeah. do all right. Depends on the spot. Yeah, yep. it depends on the spot. Yeah. yeah, Our lovely producers have have made some suggestions. So um, Burn in the producing room has said she remembers honeysuckle growing on her school mm. fence. So mm. I think that's a good suggestion. Yeah, um, honeysuckle's beautiful. Yeah, and there it's a very good hardy plant. Mm. Um, I guess uh, the limiting factor that I've forgotten is the fact that there's a fair bit of shade. So some of these right. things that we're talking about, but I think I think the raspberries that yep. you're talking about are mm. a good idea. Mm. Um, and the other thing is a little announcement um, from Tom, our producer, um, Russell Community gardens in Fitzroy North run a compost scheme for food scraps used by so many in the local community. Um, And so something's happened there. A detective last week from Metro Trains and City of Yarra has meant we've had to close the bin indefinitely. Uh, They say it's unsafe and given the pesticides Metro spray near the tracks. Oh, no. So... um, Pretty gutting, uh, no council collection, no community composting. What should locals do, given that many people live in apartments and with no opportunity for their own compost bin? Mm. Isn't that an interesting one? Mm. It's a shame to hear that they've mm. shut down. Kind of understandable, though, because if you're thinking about compost and chemicals being used in close proximity. It says a lot about chemical use, doesn't it? How yes. Much, how much effect it has into other areas it's not Mm. just you know what's happening to that soil i'm surprised that they don't have a fogo scheme in that council Mm. area um which is the uh, food scraps and organic collection that can go into the green waste bin but evidently they don't um yeah yeah there there is um a company called the compost depot that um, was running for a while. I'm not sure if it's still going, but it could be worth getting in touch with the Compost Depot. Yep. I know their website's still up um, and just asking what what suggestions they have because mm. um, they're very active in that arena. They know a lot about composting and um, advocate for it. Yep. You know, but, yeah, a loss to that community for mm. sure. Mm. Thanks for letting us know, Tom. 
and maybe we'll have some listeners uh, call in or message in with some other solutions. Maybe um, depends on. I'm not familiar with the area, but if there's any community gardens nearby that might accept and or benefit from, mm. or be able to manage people bringing in home compost and um, yeah. home organics, yeah, might be another option. But yes, I imagine that could be uh, a bigger issue to manage than, <laughs> yeah. than the suggestion of it being an easy solution. But um, it spurs on a great conversation about, you know, yeah. like we were talking about apartments and, you know, having a garden. Well, if yep. you have a garden, then you also want to try and create a circular yep. kind of thing going worm, on. Worm castings. Yeah. Yeah, having also, a worm farm could be worthwhile if you've got a balcony or some outdoor space. But mm. I mean, a lot of a lot of apartments don't have enough room. Mm. No, I guess also but you might, just talking oh, back to council again and mm. and letting them know that there yeah. is a you know bit of a conflict there. Yeah, in terms of how to manage it, um, because I wonder whether the suggestion to council to either maybe. You know, either the council deals with their own compost, mm. um, even if they're doing FOGO, um, but also maybe there could be opportunities for cross-council dealings with it or, mm. or that I know my council and we're, I'm more out in the eastern suburbs, Marinda Council, so it's a little, there's obviously more space, but having things like the Bakashi and the worm farms and, and that kind of options, which are options, as you say, that fit onto balconies yeah. um, or shared open roof spaces and things like that. But I think just making council aware as well that that's a challenge and how, mm. how can they help? Um, the councils would have their waste, um, mm. their sustainability teams, that'd be across, yeah, exactly. across those issues and have solutions and um, be... Open to people having conversations about it as well to mm. to be informed. Mm. Um, that'd be well and truly across. Yep. So you're connecting, finding out what they want. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, the onus is on the local community to kind of you know uh, advocate for their their interest in the in keeping a yep. site open for yeah. them to use. But um, I think it sounds like it would be very worthwhile. Yep. Um, yeah, power to the people, I would say. <laughs> yeah, um, not all councils have the green waste bins where you can put in the food waste yet. Mm. Our, our council only just got it mm, a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. We yeah. only just got it. Right. Literally, yes. like, as in yeah. the last yeah. couple of months. Yeah, yeah. so it's, yeah. it's still rolling out. Mm. Yeah. I guess, yeah, the bigger issue, the bigger aspect there is managing that, <laughs> as in they've got to have a facilities and service yeah. Mm-hmm. To not just take green weight, uh, the normal green bin, but food scraps mm-hmm. and yeah. have this, the system to process that. So it mm. sounds like it's rolling out more frequently because mm. I think a similar timeline for um, my council areas, the FOGOs come in over the last 12 months. Mm. Mm. And um, then there's also having the market for the product. Yeah. Correct. That's the other thing. It's so the age you know, old, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I guess a lot more is getting blended into soils, garden soils, um, mm. which is which mm. is good. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it, that's the other issue. So yep. Do we have the market for it all? Mm. Yeah. We've got another text and they say, Hi, all. Just heard you talking about the issues with gardening for renters, etc. The city of Port Phillip is having a gardening for renters webinar on the 20th of June. Find it on Tribe Booking or Facebook. <laughs> Sustainable Port Phillip. Cheers, Lisa. Oh, that's right. lovely, Lisa. Excellent. Thanks for sending that in. Yeah, Port Phillip seems pretty progressive. Yeah. I think, yeah. 
Yeah, so that sounds like a great one. So I'll just mention that again. Um, try booking or Facebook. Uh, check out Sustainable Port Phillip for their um, Gardening for Renters webinar. Um, we've got another text message. Uh, morning team, I'm late with planting up packets of spring bulbs in pots. A job for today. Can I use a basic potting mix or do I need to go buy expensive bulb potting mix? Or can I add extra material to my basic potting mix? Thanks all, Paul. I think you could, depending on what your basic potting mix is, um, as a starting off, I tend to, well, I'll, I'll, I'll always get a potting mix that's either got the the red or the black Australian standards yeah. classification, um, knowing that then you've got your good foundation. That's but, very good advice. Um, on top of that, there's nothing wrong with putting some extra compost in or some worm castings or um, some extra organic matter um, to add more substance to it. And bulbs would be, you know, they're hungry, often hungry, will, will take up nutrients. Yes. Um, Especially after flowering. I mean, yep. the first thing, they'll, they'll have the flowers ready in, to go, yep. won't they, in the bulb now. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it depends what you if you're doing it for a cut flower, which some people do. Yep. You know, just buy bulbs, put them in pots, bring them up to flower, yep. and then put them in the compost. Yeah, okay. You know, I mean, it's 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 a pretty cheap yeah. bunch of flowers, yeah. isn't it? You know, yes. Um, but you raise a good point that it's probably more the second year that you need to apply more nutrition to the bulb. True. After flowering. Yes, Because after that's flowering. when they're then generating up. But as you say, if you're adding worm castings and... Um, you know, some other organics yep. that will help with that. Mm. Yep. But if you've got a good, most like the potting mix as as a foundation, if you've got a good product mm. that will have good requirements in it, it'll if it's got the Australian standards, that means it's got good composition. It's got um, slow release fertilizers in it often, mm. or you or should have um, for the, high, the the premium one usually. Mm. Um, so you've got what the plant needs to get established and then it's the the succession planting after that Mm. but please do not go out and get the two dollar bag yeah (laughs) or the one dollar bag it is enticing as it might be Mm. it's not a good foundation not that you were not i was not i was suggesting that paul was (laughs) way way back in the distant past when I, i i spent a year working in a perennial nursery in holland um there was a bulb nursery there that had a farm in new zealand and so they would um bring the bulbs over in the in the autumn yep the, uh, european autumn bring them over um bring them up in glass houses up to flower and then sell them essentially as cut flowers wow yeah hyacinths daffodils tulips all these things so yep. so they're essentially disposable if you like but it's an it's like it's like buying cut flower yeah yeah um and then you just you know you, you're not expecting to grow it on Mm-hmm. To the yep, next year, I get you. but mm-hmm. that way they had they had cut flower all year live because people love to have those sorts mm-hmm. of plants in their houses. Yeah, yep. which is a lovely thing to do. You know, mm-hmm. to have a, a daffodil or something come up in the house or a jonquil. Yep. Um, and and flower its head off for for three or four weeks, and then yep. you know, and then oh. it either goes out to the garden if you really want to keep it. Or you just into the res- into the compost. Yep. Um, I really like yeah. it when people plant bulbs in like a glass vessel mm-hmm. and you can see the bulb 
under the, the hyacinth. soil profile. Yeah, hyacinths yeah. is yeah. common for that. Yep. Yep. I just think that looks so stunning. Mm. It's just mm. really nice. But yep. in answer mm. to Paul's question, I think we've managed to get there. So what you've got might be fine, but just check for the Aussie standards. Yep. Mm. And, um, yeah, mid-range, good middle-range potting mix. So you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Emma Hurd, and here with me in the studio is Stephen Wells, Sandra Schwarz, and Evan Golke. Um, call us on 94190155 or text us on 0488809855. We've got a few more texts come in. Um, hi, uh, Share Waste. Google it. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Uh, okay. Okay. To the point. Uh, you drop off compost to a neighbour and they compost it from Kim. Oh, yes. Yep. I have heard of that. Oh, That's this a is great a cool, idea. Yeah. So yep. I'm guessing this is an app, Share Waste, or, or like a website. So, yeah. Kind of like the um, suburban farms, you mm. know, where like. Where someone's got the space and somebody else wants to yep. actually do the work. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, mm. don't want to sound old, um, <laughs> but, you know, you, you reflect back on past eras and go, we did that in community, mm. but we've kind of lost that in yep. yeah. our isolating ourselves, however, mm. whatever, for whatever reason. Um, well, I yeah. think especially since we COVID. We just miss connecting with others and someone goes, oh, yeah, I've got an apple tree. Yeah, you can have some apples. Yeah. Or someone grows something that then they share on to you because you're doing something that they then – so, you know, if you're living mm. on a, in a small space and you've got your worm castings mm. and your worm juice, you might not use it, but the neighbour might, and they might produce something that then yeah. you go, cool, I'll have that back in three months' time when it's being produced. Or mm. the yeah. share waste context is a brilliant example of just like being a community – Mm, the mm. coffee grounds being shared yep. and that sort of stuff as well. I think there, there could be a lot more sharing. And someone might go, I've got some timber. You could make something out of That's the timber. <laughs> I've got all these pallets. Yes. Yeah, I've got some empty pots. Can you use them? Yep. But give yeah. me, I'll, I'll take some of your worm juice. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah. Good exchange. Um, I'm amazed how much stuff gets put out on hard rubbish that is perfectly good. Oh, that um, was phenomenal. You know, we literally f- fitted out our, our beach house with stuff of hard <laughs> rubbish. I'm not I kid you not. Yeah. Gosh. You know, unbelievable. No. You yeah, know, we, outdoor chairs, yeah. know, all one sorts of, of things. One place Just, we walked past had an entire, like, dining Crocker, yeah. crockery setting yeah. that mm. was not damaged, not chipped, yeah. nothing. It mm. was just that person didn't want to go to an op shop to drop it off. But, but also, that's what we did. We, yeah, but we see, picked it up and dropped it off. But yeah. it's like, come on, somebody else can use this yeah. still. Correct. Yeah. But it's also very – like I can understand why people do because I, if I've booked a hard rubbish in the past mm. – I won't say where I am because then it might mm-hmm. give away too much. But <laughs> I'll often, like if it's booked for a Monday pickup, mm-hmm. yes, they say put it out Sunday. Mm-hmm. I yeah. might put it out Friday because oh, there's the weekend and yeah. there's people that will go, that's the traffic, people mm-hmm. going past and have the time to pull in. Mm-hmm. And you go, great, if you can use it, yeah. go for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't have to go to hard rubbish. But you know you put stuff out because also the other thing I'm also mindful of, it's kind of like selling a car. Mm. I don't want the hassle of people coming in tire kicking literally. I just want it, I want it gone. <laughs> so the, the crockery is a good example. You yeah. go, I just don't want to deal with the issue. Put it out. Someone will take mm. it. And you yeah. go, great, tick. 
Mm. And I guess when I'm it, just mm. worried we get to, I don't want to deal with it, rather than how can I share this? Correct, because yeah, that is a good point. if we go back to what we were just saying about that community network, that it's, you know, just, just have a think about it. It doesn't yep. need to be hard. Just drop it at your local or, mm. you know, maybe... Maybe neighbours can get together and do it. You know, hey, I'm going to the op shop. Have you got anything? Yep. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. But when it's from the side of the road as well, like you don't feel bad if you decide, oh, I'm going to use this crockery. I'm going to drill holes in it and yeah. plant little things <laughs> in it. Right. Like, like it's kind also of, true. it yeah. opens Creative the door for... Yeah. possible. Yeah. yeah Smash it, it up in those eggs. Yeah, because yeah, you're like, well, I found this and what a gift and I can be a little bit <laughs> mm, uh, like zany with my, <laughs> with my uh, choices of what Absolutely. I do with it. And you're right, they are gifts. Like I, you know, sometimes... You probably found this, Sandra, and you probably found this too, Gavin, when you were f- picking up things for your, your beach house. You can just come, a, you just happen to be in the right spot at the yeah, right time, yeah. and you go, oh my goodness, I remember picking up a, a, a fireplace surround, timber, yeah. wow. that I didn't need to do anything to. Someone had held onto it for a long time, they'd had it, in, yeah. and they'd just got to the point of going, you know what, just move it out of the shed, do you? Just get it out, we're, so we're having a clean up just happened to be driving past at the right time was like oh wow that could Mm. and you know it's a fun Mm. gift for my little place now and you go wow and sometimes it's a nice experience like sometimes you meet the person that's put it out on the side of the road Mm. and you start a conversation with a neighbor or someone you've never met before Mm. and you get a bit of a backstory a bit of local history it's it's all fun (laughs) that fireplace is a great example like the lady that was putting it out was a brand newish kind of house so it didn't suit the house that it was in front of and they'd had it from a previous house and found it in the their garden and then just sort of cleaned it up and mm. so I, I didn't know that until I actually by chance And what did you that. do with it? Um, all I had Made to do into some planty thing in well, the garden? Well yeah no in, in my house like I have this little <laughs> pocket of spaces where I kind of just change things around because I like changing every now and then mm. and I made a little scene. It's my little fireplace, and I put plants on top, and I make it, and it's just leaning against the wall. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I did nothing to it except put two screws into it, and it looks like I've done all the hard work of staining it, whereas I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a good idea. Great. And it's, it's like creates a my shelf. little nook. Yeah, it's yeah. perfect. Yep. True gift. Love that. Mm. Well, we have our first caller for the show. So, hello, Di. Hello, team. How are you? Good, thank you. That's good. Thanks for a great show. Great. Thanks for calling in. I've got a question about possums, but before I go to that, I was thinking about the school fence, mm. and I thought espaliering a phajoa might be a good thing too. Yeah, yeah, they would espalier. Mm. Lots of shrubs will espalier as well. Um, so, yeah, that's a good choice. I was just thinking about it. Camellias as well do really well espaliered onto a fence. True. You, they, yep. you essentially end up with a hedge. Yep. Oh, yeah. A fedge. Fedge, yes. <laughs> and if they eat the flowers, that's not going to hurt them. Of camellias mm. or phajoas, you can eat both of them. Yeah, yeah. So if they want a little snack, it doesn't matter. <laughs> True. <laughs> phajoa flowers that are edible as well? Yes. Yeah. They're beautiful. They they're really yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh, good. You get well, a like, nice snack in there. As long as, they're, <laughs> as long as they're better than the fruit, not a fan. Yeah, oh, an acquired taste. Honey-like, almost. Right. Yeah. Are they? Oh, if it's what I'm thinking good. of, the yeah. white and red, is it? Yeah, it's pinky yeah. red tones. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they're yeah. beautiful. Beautiful, they're yeah. Really Stunning tasty. little flower as well. Yes. Yeah, they are. Yep. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm, yeah, they you, are. They're a, they're a weird taste, but some of the kids will probably like them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all like different some things. Them. Yeah. Expose them to interesting things young. That's the, yeah. that's the goal. So or you a thornless have... blackberry if you really wanted to send yeah. them home with stains all over them. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine the, um, the, e- the emails to the, the school office now. Check whether the, yeah, the berry colour matches the uniform. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good point. So you have um, an issue with your crepe myrtle. I do. My question is about possums. I live in Northgate and um, have a lot of trees and a lot of thick um, hedging and all sorts of crazy stuff in the backyard. We have a ringtail nest. We've got huge brush tails. Mm. And um, we live pretty happily together. But lately I've got two crepe myrtles. They're about four years old. And the possums do get up and eat some of the leaves. That's fine. But the weird thing that they've done is gone down on ground level on both of these plants, one in the front yard, one in the back, and they are biting the um, bark. They're not ring barking them because they're biting upwards, but they're biting great swathes of bark off, Mm. which then drip a lot of sap. Mm. The sap looks really terrible and then disappears. And I wondered if you guys thought, what are those possums doing eating that bark? Do you think the tree might grow out of it um, and get tougher and, and put them off? Or what could I do? I'm just also wondering, have you seen the possums do it? Do you know that it's definitely the possums? And it, or is it something else that's... Because I just had the fleeting thought of whether it's something like rats mm. that are coming from yeah. the bottom. Yeah. If you've not noticed the possums doing this previously mm. could still be yeah. the possums but i'm just trying to because i've not heard of the possums doing what you've described yeah and rats certainly do they've yeah. done it in my Old orchard day. to pear trees years and years ago when they're yep. much younger mm-hmm. um they can really get in and, and hook into the bark at the at the bottom and right. on that um, note you could just lay a trap and see what you get like a rat trap yeah one of those yeah. when you catch that's them a lies, really yeah. good question mm. we had arborists come out and they reduce the canopy so there's no jumping yes. points into the tree. That's good. Um, so they did that in the front and the back and took the canopy away from the wires. Great, And yep. they had a good hard look at it and of the scratch marks up the tree, and they did think it was possums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. We, um... But we did recently get rid of our compost bin because it was attracting rats. Yeah. And those poor old rats are probably looking for something to eat. Mm. Yeah, it could. yeah, so it could still be both. So it'd be interesting, yeah. perhaps if you know someone's got a night um, night vision camera, <laughs> yeah. stick a camera yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I've tried is blood and bone. Um, I, okay. for, not for rats, but for possums, because they, they don't like the smell of it. Um, so do you lay that... Mm. Uh, around the, the base of the tree? Or yeah, I put little... it at the base of the tree. Blood. I mean, I have been known to throw it into the canopy of the tree as well, <laughs> yeah. like like get the hose and wet the foliage and ah, then throw a bit yes. of blood and bone onto yeah. it. And it, it's a fairly short-term solution. Like it will wash off when the next rain comes. But on the ground, it's a bit more longer, longer lasting. Mm. Um, but yeah. given that your scenario is coming from the ground up, mm. You might just be okay putting some around the base of the tree and just 
like if you already have it, then it's worth a go. Or just yeah. just uh, get some a little bit of bird wire off hard rubbish. Yes. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And just just put it around the the base of the tree, just a little bit off the tree. Um, yep. Yeah. But just put it around the tree, just yeah. to put a physical protection would would work yeah. fine. And that would tell you if it's rats. I would have thought. Yeah. Too. Yeah, because mm. yeah, if it's rats, it'll keep happening. Mm. And if it's possums, it should ho- stop happening. Yep. I would think. Yeah. So you can figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit a of really a process of who done it. Yeah. But I think yeah. the tree will be fine. I mean, it's four years old, unless it's been completely ringbarked. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's still a young, vigorous tree. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, it. Mm. Hopefully, it will. It will grow away. And just one last question about possums. I have read that if you feed them, they don't need to eat your plants. But my concern with leaving out food for them is. Um, although I love them, I don't want them to breed up to the food <laughs> supply yeah. and then have more and more of them. I'd rather they live hard, thanks. Yeah, generally... the babies. What do you think? It's actually illegal to, to feed wildlife. I know that oh, sounds good. really like hard line, but even like you're, you're not meant to sort of be propping up natural ecosystems. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of my that's where I draw the line, and I'm in agreement with you. Um, but I guess to each their own, and there's no compliance uh, going on about feeding these animals. But yeah, I would say better to not. I think your your ideas are founded. Yeah. I think okay. inner city just generally is just a huge salad bowl Correct. for possums. Yeah. There are way more possums in urban areas than there are where I live out in Upper Beaconsfield. We have a few running around, but you don't really notice yep. them. In the city, you just see them everywhere. Yep. So there is just a massive food source yeah. because yeah. there's so many delicate trees and shrubs and fruits and so on that they they can uh, eat and uh, and encourages breeding. Yep. So there's yeah. just big numbers. Mm. And there's no guarantee that it's actually going to stop them in your garden anyway, so... Um, you know, yeah. if if you fed them, that that doesn't. There's no guarantee that that's actually going to help yeah. necessarily. Yeah. So I think, okay. like you say, let them live a bit tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they're resourceful. Yeah. They'll find their food. Yeah, they really are. They're they're amazing animals, and I've got to say, I do really love them. I just don't want them to actually out and out kill anything. Yeah. No, no, I understand that. Yeah, yeah. pretty good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Those those thoughts. That's fantastic. Thank you. Oh, such a pleasure, Di. Thank you for calling in. Thanks. Bye. 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 Possums are interesting, aren't they? In that they, you can have, you know, a crepe myrtle on one side of the fence and oh. a different one on the other side of the fence. Or the same, same yep. plane. They'll mutilate one of them mm. and they won't touch the other one. It's very hit and miss. Correct. Yeah. And you know, the, the thing to understand too is the seasonality of it too. Like I noticed a few years back in my garden, I've got some um, big gum trees and in my um, area and in my yard, and so that that's their normal. Um, food palette but when we had a really dry summer the summer regrowth wasn't happening on the gums and that year they then discovered the ornamental pears and essentially <laughs> stripped them in autumn so I didn't kind of which was fine because mm. it's autumn and they're going to lose their leaves anyway um so I didn't harm them long term but I noticed that year they particularly liked the Manchurian pears mm. um 
because their normal food cycle yep. of regrowth, the nice supple gum shoots, mm-hmm. wasn't happening because it was a really dry summer. Mm-hmm. Um, they come back in there now a little bit, but if I looked at them right now, there'd be very minimal damage this year from any of the possums because I've got. So they haven't come back. So they haven't pairs. come because I've got their normal food supply. Okay. Maybe um, which that's is a good strategy, mm. you know, if you notice, like if you're observing them doing something, try try and find a way to break their habit, you know, mm. if it is by giving something a hard prune and just being like, that's enough, yep. <laughs> stop eating this, <laughs> if yep. you if you keep eating it, I'll, uh, I'll get rid of it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got I don't thoughts, know. I've got thoughts of that at one of the gardens at the hospital, I'm like... You're not getting those apples next mm. year because I'm getting rid of them. Yeah, <laughs> just really confuse yes. them. Yes. Stick with the other things, please. There's plenty. Yeah, yeah I like that. <laughs> We've had another text, an event today. Uh, please promote, thank you. Uh, Friends of Mary Park Mother's Day planting. Uh, Sunday the 14th of May at 10 a.m. till midday. Meet near Winifred Street, Northgate. Bring your mum along <laughs> and help Mother Earth and local fauna by planting Indigenous mid-storey shrubs and trees at Mary Park. Then join us for a barbecue lunch with halal, vegan and gluten-free options. Oh, what a lovely idea. <laughs> I like the idea of Mother's Day being Mother Earth Day as yeah. well. That's nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Thank you for texting that in, whoever you are. Enjoy the good weather. Yeah. And then another text message says, it's a generous thing to give things away by leaving them out for somebody somebody else. Correct. It's re-gifting. Yeah, love it. Even plants. Sometimes I come across plants on the side of the road, usually agave for some reason. Agaves and yuccas, usually. <laughs> Agaves and yuccas. Yeah, I mean, I like a good agave. Yeah, I yeah. do a sharing table every now and then, um, not quite as regularly as I'd like, but yeah, and that's always just plant-filled or egg cartons or yeah. um, seeds. If or sometimes them. indoor plants. People, yes. people will uh, put cuttings of them out, and they're yes. not necessarily rooted cuttings, but that doesn't matter because if you're a keen gardener, then... Uh, you'll you'll make that happen (laughs) with patience excess to share yeah so that's it's lovely lovely to see there's other tree there's a tree planting group down on the um, peninsula um, that plant specifically for koala habitat amazing Um, and uh, my my wife um, is always out there planting with them and they plant on weekends and they're currently looking for properties yep Mm -hmm. that that might um, take trees so what happens is you know people will put up a property they you know they're they're a couple acres or whatever and they'll contact the people and um they'll then organize a group of people on a particular saturday or sunday Mm um to plant and they they get grants and so on for the plants Mm -hmm. and they they don't just grow um just the eucalypts they'll they'll grow a range they'll have a range of plants and you just go there and have a planting frenzy (laughs) <laughs> uh, and plant, you know, hundreds and hundreds of trees, mm. um, which is really, you know, trying to get the habitat back mm. for the koalas. Excellent. So if people are looking for interesting things to do, I just looked it up. Mm. So it's the the um, the email is uh, MP, obviously standing for Mornington Peninsula, koala tree planting at outlook.com. Um, they're just a, a wonderful group. 
that the one that they're trying to connect into sort of a bit of a corridor down there as well? They, Is that they, what I'm thinking They of? are trying to connect corridors yeah. all through. So, so find more land but also figure out how to connect them. Yeah, yeah. Great. yeah. So amazing. they're just a volunteer group. It's entirely yep. run by volunteers. Um, and uh, it's, it's incredible mm. what they do. So for a landowner... All you really need to do is do the preparation before getting there, you know, brush yep. cut areas, yep. clean it up and so on. And and these guys will, will come and, you know, there will be all the volunteers with Such them. An and army coming Yeah, up. it's like a little army yeah, and, and they're fantastic. all organised and they'll have, you know, tree guards and stakes and somebody will be digging holes, somebody will be yep. planting things, people will put the tree guards and the stakes in. But it's all about trying to increase the habitat for koalas because... Um, you know, down at Summers and, and Merricks and those places, there used to be a lot more koalas. Mm. Right, they really yep. have dropped off. Mm. Uh, we did see one a couple of weeks ago. I didn't, um, but my family did in Coolart in the heritage yep. area down there at Summers, which is a fantastic bush area. Um, but so it, lovely it's... to hear that you've seen, like, there's been a sighting because it, <laughs> it has been disheartening hearing more and more um, scientific research saying that, koalas are having real troubles yep. because of us humans oh so. they absolutely are yeah. and it's right here on our back doorstep yeah yep. which uh but this is a way that that people can yeah. help yeah um so yeah you know get involved even if you just go and spend one afternoon planting some planting mm. some trees or sticking yep. some stakes in or whatever it might be and yeah, do those groups then come back to some of those sites over the years as they not to help manage those no, no, I don't think so. No, it's just literally about getting the trees in the ground. Yep. And the planting starts now. It's this coming weekend is their Great. first planting. So they plant through through the cooler months. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, talking to a nurseryman yesterday who supplies a lot of the plants for them, um, he said, you know, they get a, a really good strike rate. Great. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you probably only need, with how many they plant, you probably only need 60 or 70% to survive and mm-hmm. it would be, yeah. you know, a great result. Yes. Yep. Uh, oh, that's Excellent. such a great event. Yeah. Thank you for bringing mm-hmm. that up. Okay. I, yeah, I'm sure our listeners will love, love getting involved. So we have another <laughs> caller. We've got Anne from Malvern and she has a question. She has a question about her Boston Ivy. Hello, Anne. Yes, good morning. How are you? I've got a question for Evan because once in the past he explained uh, maybe how to control it. I'm sorry, I'm talking about the baby-leafed one, Loei. Right. Mm -hmm. And ages ago, Mm. mine is on a wall that I share with a front villa unit and it goes down my driveway so I put it on there because it was a dreary wall but he's got his bathroom windows up at the top under his Mm. roof that look out onto my well they don't look out but they're up there and I can't get up on ladders and (laughs) this this plant of course keeps smothering his glass of his windows (laughs) and once ages ago you explained about putting a piece of metal or something under this sort of situation. Yeah, no, And it so diver- diverts it. Is well, that right? That's right. So essentially if you have – it's a little bit like this. So, you know, if, essentially if you can put a, a, a frame around the, the window – um, that is uh, that, that sticks out perpendicular and it might be a fairly thin steel. And what that gives you is the ability to... So it, it makes it much harder for the 
for the ivy to, to sort of grow around it and then back onto the window. It also mm-hmm. gives you a point to cut yep. really easily to mm. cut those new shoots along there. So that's, that's the, the idea. Um, and I first saw it in one of the gardens that my brother looks after. Um, the fellow had, it was like flashing that he had yep. around mm. his windows and yes. it worked brilliantly. And so, would this be made of timber or metal? Uh, metal's best um, because okay. it's a very fine edge. I think the finer the edge, the, the better it, it works. Puts it off. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it still will go around if you ignore it completely. But it gives you the ability to, uh, you know, maybe with a large pole uh, lopper or something, just yep. to run along that edge and cut it off or, you know, shears or something like that. So, yeah. But it will take a, a much longer. It won't just run across that horizontal surface and, yep. or the, sorry, the vertical surface and, and onto the window. Mm. Yeah. Right. So it's a bit like, you know, you might see it going up onto guttering. On well, it's roof. up on his gutters now. So, yeah, so it'll take a while for it to actually go over the guttering in, in under the roof. It'll tend to hang back down. I mean, and guttering's round, so it, it does go over, um, yes. but it, it's it's a little bit slower. Um, so it's yeah, kind it's, of a bit it, of a problem now, isn't it? I oh, it I just look great. <laughs> I just think it looks fantastic, and uh, I know I planted a garden years ago in East Hawthorne, uh, no, in Kew, and. Uh, then uh, a big apartment block got built next door, and I was there a little while ago, and it was halfway up the apartment block. <laughs> it looked fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the whole laneway was green because yep. of the Boston Ivy going up there. But, yes, it was getting very close to some windows. <laughs> but what a great way to cool a building. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yes. yes. Well, this is a bit west, so he should be grateful that I'm doing it. But. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But yeah. on, I put it on some of my ordinary fences in a courtyard, mm. and it does race to the top. But mm. as you were saying about an earlier plant, um, it looks quite good just hanging back again then, mm. doesn't it? Yep. Absolutely, yes. Mm. Yes, I have it on a pergola at the front door where it's, it's probably about 15 years old, I suppose, and it hangs four metres down. Yep. Yes. And it's sort of like going through a Tarzan um, scene wow. set, you know, it just hangs there yep. and sort of blows in the breeze. It's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't well, have to stay on the wall. it's very manageable. The small, uh, the small leafed one is mm. better on tiny courtyards and things like mm. mine. Yes. Um, but it's jolly difficult to buy anyway. Yeah, Lowy, I, I think because the grower of that plant which was the old wholesale nursery, Smith & Gordon, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I know. So, and that's, that's who used to grow it. They used to have it well, growing on a ex- fence in the nursery. It provides an excuse to go into any nursery. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. That's right. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it will be about. Um, you'll be able to find it again. But you can make cuttings off what you've got anyway. Uh, yes, I suppose so. Very, well, thank very Thank you easy. very much. I'll mm. have to get someone to make metal squares yeah yeah and 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 sort of you know a hundred mil out or something off the off the wall yeah thank Mm. you very much Mm. okay thank you bye thanks Thanks, Anne. bye Hmm. long-term listener yeah Mm. good to hear (laughs) thank you Anne. Um, I'm just scrolling as we're talking because I'm interested in a Boston Ivy as an option for something that I'm thinking of at home Mm. and looks like they're I'm looking up Parthenocissus lowii, mm. um, and Tessalars is coming up. Okay, yep, yep. It says it's out of stock, but the thing, 
as in just a quick glance. I don't know any more details, but mm, often seasonal. seasonal, but it also might be about contacting some of those and going when's it, mm. when, like you've got it in as a stock plant, when, when will it be available? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's also the little Parthenocissus, little evergreen one, Sycamensis. Yep. Which I don't know if that's still available either because that was another Smith & Gordon plant. Yeah. But that's a – I mean, we used to grow it initially for hanging down things because that's mm-hmm. what – you know, I don't know why. Yep. But, um, <laughs> but I remember we, we had it in a garden and it went up the wall and it yep. was magnificent because it's very small. It's very slow. It has a very small leaf, you know, maybe only 10 centimetre, 10, 10 mil across. Oh, that's small. So wow. it's really tiny. Yep. And uh, it's just a lovely little little climber. Yep. Uh, for a for a south wall, not a western yep. wall, we get cooked. Yep. But uh, on a cooler wall, it's a really nice thing. Yep. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Yes, I like a good self-affixing climber. Mm. Less work. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, Schizophragma is another really good one. You know, which is like the climbing hydrangea. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It might even mm. be called a hydrangea now. I don't know. Everything seems to be changing, but. <laughs> Um, Schizophragma is another good yeah. good clinger. I think it's kind of better than, than the climbing hydrangea. It's a little bit closer and Definitely. I used to have it on the south side of our first house and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful heart-shaped leaf. Yes. Maybe five centimetres across. It does um, come out a little bit wider than uh, your Parthenocissus varieties. So more mm. like mm, 300 to 500 out from the wall. Yep. So yep. you've got to have the space for mm. it. But it's mm. it's a divine thing. Yeah, the, the flowers are beautiful and mm. just like, yeah, really yeah. pretty. And as you say, really easy to manage because it's self-clinging. Yeah. Um, and doesn't go crazy like Boston Ivy does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. good alternative. Yeah. But you got to love Boston Ivy. There's a building in Auburn Road in Hawthorne, or there used to be. I don't drive down there much anymore, but um, it used to be up three levels mm. on the western side. Okay. It was a blank wall, yep. so it was fine. Yep. But you can imagine what that must help for heat mm. yeah. in the building. It must yep. make a big difference. Apart from just looking onto a nice green yes. wall. Yeah, yeah. 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 This yeah. makes me think we've got to grow some on the 3CR building. Like all this conversation, I'm sure they want to keep their murals, but um, I think we should green it up around here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think green walls is an interesting thing. A lot of green walls take a lot of inputs. Yes. Mm. Boston Ivy takes virtually none apart yeah. from that maintenance yeah. that you need to do. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of green walls getting around in the city and so on, but they mm. often have water constantly dripping through them. Mm. Yeah. That's a lot of water. Mm. And you know, if, if you're looking at resources, pumps. you're looking at it big, like as a entirety, and going, okay, would it actually be? It's still a cost, but to get someone in to do a, a, um, a management on a crane or on a mm. um, scissor lift, mm. is that actually is it's a, a physical cost? But is that still less? That might actually be less than the maybe the construction system. costs yes. or the running mm-hmm. systems yep. or, you know, so... That's very true, actually. Look at different... Nothing yeah. nothing to say green walls in, in their form um, aren't good. Mm. It's just actually look at the look at a project in the, in the biggest picture and go, right, what's what's the, mm-hmm. the right solution for the, um, for the location? The thing of um, that they have... The climbers have the reputation for damaging walls, yep. which is not actually the case. Um, in fact... They often protect them, but I think it's changing that mentality mm. from because a lot of people, are, whether it's Boston Ivy or some of the others, that, um, that you know, oh, no, it gets into the 
into the gaps and, mm. no, it's going to damage the wall. And it's like, no, no, they've actually found now in England where, you know, some of these things are 80, 100 years old, if mm. not older, mm. that actually those walls have been protected by yep. that plant. So yeah. not only is it the thermal benefits but also the protection there and, and yeah, I think it's starting to turn. Yep. But, um, but I think it's, yeah, there's they're still a bit of a prejudice to battle, I guess, that it, it doesn't yeah. damage your walls, actually. <laughs> I think it's okay for things to be a learning process and a continuum. Yep. You know, we don't have to have all the answers to start trying something new, yes. you know. Correct. and And having these conversations is so important because... Um, even Anne calling in and just saying, how can I stop this from covering my window? Mm. You know, that's that mm. gets the ball rolling on thinking yep. about, well, how can we live with nature in a more uh, fun and uh, yep. integrated way? Yep. And I think that's the, you know, often some people in life say, don't come to me with a problem. Don't Unless you've got a solution, don't come to me with a problem. Mm. But I don't like that because as a collective, if someone comes with an issue... Someone in the room is going to sit there and go, oh, that's easy. We could mm. do this. Or yeah. "Here's a, what about this and this? And then you go, oh, actually, that would work. And you go, great, because mm. that's how society, that's how community and society works. Is yeah. We're all, some people have experiences. Some people have different capacity of thinking processes and go, well, if we do this, this or this, then we can, we can find a solution for that. Whereas mm. someone's just going, this doesn't work. I don't know what, how to fix it, yep. but it doesn't work. Yeah, I'm not a mechanic. Aren't I? I go to my mechanics with when my car doesn't work. Mm. Yes. So it's that same sort of thing. So yeah, the conversation gets people thinking, gets people using and um, contributing with their experiences and knowledge. Mm. And there are great resources like uh, Melbourne City Council this week held a symposium about um, urban. Biodiversity. Urban, yeah, urban biodiversity. And Sandra, you went along to it. I did. What did you pull out of it or who was a speaker that really, you know, stuck out to you? Um, so it was called Urban Nature, Urban Miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one, the first day on Thursday was speakers and then the second day was about brainstorming and, and workshopping. It was run predominantly by City of Melbourne and then with lots of collaborators within that. And it was basically looking at what are the urban myths. So things like anything green will do, uh, mm-hmm. People won't like it. It costs too much. All the usual barriers, and and trying to bust those myths. So similar to what I was saying about the, the climbers, and it'll damage your wall when it actually won't. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it was just interesting to see projects happening there, and and proof that a lot of these myths really aren't accurate, mm. um, but they are the go-to kind of thinking for a lot of councils, I guess, especially, but also a, a, yeah, a lot of community. Yeah. And I think the thing I took away from it predominantly was that a lot of these myths are just more complex problems than or challenges. I think challenges and opportunities is, is better uh, than what we think. So when you say you know, anything green will do. It's like, well, anything green is better than nothing, Mm. but it's not anything green will do because it depends on what you're trying to achieve, like whether it's biodiversity, whether it's uh, urban heat island cooling, etc. So you do need to be more specific than just anything green will do, although an element of it, obviously, like I said, anything green is better than nothing. Um, <laughs> better so, than asphalt. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was picking a lot of those things apart and I think one of the other one that I 
thought of uh, when talking about people won't like it. I thought, and this, uh, you and I, Stephen, have had this kind of conversation. It's not necessarily that somebody just doesn't like it. It's actually digging down a little bit deeper and asking, what is it that you're concerned about? So it might be. Um, like with the caller we just had of, you know, she likes the, the actual vine or the, the climber, but there, but there's a challenge within that. So it's trying to pick that apart and thinking about how can we collaborate and, and compromise with each other mm. to live together to get success for everybody. So yeah, um, Well, it's great to see a council sort of spearheading those kind of conversations and yeah. uh, wanting uh, their facility to be open-minded about these things Mm. and you know other consultants and people working in the industry to also be involved and that was a free event and I believe that a fair bit of it was recorded and might end up online so I hope so yeah yeah if people trying to amalgamate and and both the information from the talks and the results like all the brainstorming that we did in the workshop are going towards two publications Mm -hmm. so certainly that that knowledge is going to be shared and I did think of you several times Stephen about our usual conversations about maintenance because definitely on our table that was one that um got brought up quite a lot and and got brought up at other tables at the workshop just about how and which links into a lot of the conversations we've had so far about, you know, the composting and the collaborating and communicating within a community. Mm. Um, how do you maintain so that things are being looked after? They've got the signs of care, uh, but they're, yeah, they're practical for people and that everyone's involved and, yeah. and that you share. And the idea of asking for help if you need it, is such a, a good one, mm. whether it be to your local council yep. or to your neighbours. Like, and I know this theme keeps running through our show today, but it's mm. just such a valuable one. Yep. It's multidisciplinary and, as well. Yeah. It reminds me of a Pippi Longstocking comment, which was, never tried that before. It's bound to be a success. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I love that attitude. That is great. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, let's just, you know channel our inner pippy and yep. <laughs> go yeah. with that sometimes. And especially that's when really it comes good. to gardening and plants, like I think that's really applicable. Never tried that before? It's bound, bound to, to work. Bound to work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give it a go. Start with the Try optimistic approach. Yeah. Well, but it's also I think the reality of, you know, a lot of things we have tried haven't worked so well, yep. you know, and you don't necessarily need to analyse that to the wazoo, but but actually just going, well, you know, let, let's just try something different yeah. and see how it goes. Yeah. And, in, you know, in a planting context, failure is okay. Failure, we don't want failure because we don't want it, we don't want to waste money or time or it takes mm-hmm. a while for that shrub or tree to grow and you don't, don't want to waste. But, you know. Failure is learning. Well, failure is learning. Yeah, and, and you progress. And yeah. the other thing about a dead plant in a garden is that then there's a space for a new plant. Yeah. So if you planted it and it didn't work, well, then you've got a hole to put new plants back in. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an ongoing learning. Yeah. yeah if you don't try things, if you don't, if you, and, and you know, we're in design, yeah. if you're not throwing new ideas and new yeah. potential ways of, of, of uh, fitting out something, a mm. house or mm. public space or whatever it might be. Windows. Windows. <laughs> you don't progress. Yep. And if you don't try it, you don't progress. And I think you're... Uh, comment earlier about the maintenance and you know you know is that cheaper in the longer term 
Well, it might be, but the fear of maintenance yeah. is probably one of the most difficult things yes. that we deal with mm. day to day, yep. the fear of maintenance. Yet yeah. lots of other things will get maintained yeah. and won't yep. bat an eyelid at it, but there's yes. this set and forget. That is, that is wanted in, yeah. in horticulture, but which is disappointing is such, and hopefully it changes. Yeah, and why is there such a negative connotation to the idea of maintenance when we all need to have a job, we all need to have an expertise, mm. and why not invest in people that have that knowledge in plants, Correct. you know, yeah. to do the maintenance? I think it's so valuable. Maintenance is an everyday thing. We yeah. need maintenance. Yeah. Everything needs maintenance. It's not a negative. Mm. It's a, an understanding of th- that everything does and how do we do that. Yeah. And it's a it was long interesting at the, <laughs> at the workshop and throughout the two days that, um, and it may only be the switching of a word, but I think it fits well with what you just said. It's switching maintenance to care. Yep. And we all need care. Yep. You know, and, the, and, that, that, and then it obviously brings it around to it, the bigger picture of care for country. Uh, yep. But yeah, I, I, I think that's, I definitely took that away from the two days as well of that we need to just shift this thinking because I think it goes into wider societal issues of, you know, unpaid care for for various mm. people and, and demographics, etc. But I think if we actually look at it from a point of view of care, mm. yes, we're maintaining something, yes, we're managing something, but actually what we're doing is caring. And, and that's when you get the heart involved and, and you start changing some of these systems yeah. maybe. So. There's very few people who will walk through yeah. a city, who will walk down a city street and say, what a great cityscape if it's got no trees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yet if it's got beautiful trees and it's got gardens and you're walking under canopy, there'll be a, wow, isn't this fantastic? But mm-hmm. for some reason people don't recognise that mm-hmm. in the design phase. Mm-hmm. They'll only see it in... Yeah. You know, in retrospect. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, if you don't have, you take all the plants out of, of inner city or wherever it might be, what a horrendous place it would yep. be. Yep. It would be well, awful. It's not good for us. And mm. you have to look after it in order yeah. to nurture that. You just can't leave it. And, you know, the thing for me in that too is also about acknowledging who is it that does that maintenance and mm. raising the profile, which is mm. horticulturalists, mm. Yep. Yeah. gardeners. You know, qualified, experienced people. When you go, well, and we need to, yeah. But in a, you know, in a professional context, yes, if you go, yeah. okay, we go to the, the football. Who looks after the, the one thing that makes a difference? The grass. Yeah. Mm. Like who looks after? Oh, that's a qualified or mm. some a horticulturalist. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm. and very. Who looks after the trees, the mm. parklands, the. Mm. Yep. And that grass is extremely labour intensive mm. and requires a lot of care and skill and knowledge. Yes. And you go, we need to value in, that. Yeah, finding the value instead of the cost. No, yeah. It's like cricket. There's not a sport I don't think that d- that demands horticulturists do their job properly. <laughs> <laughs> Great, you know, you've golf seen courses, fun. maybe. Great. Uh, yeah, golf courses. <laughs> but sport. Yeah, yeah. Lawn, lawn bowls. I mean, there's all yeah. these sports and so on that require really clever horticulture. Mm. Yeah. Yet, for some reason, we don't see it. No. Yeah. And I think as an industry, that's that's our, our challenge of, you know, the raising the profile of the those who maintain and manage and care yeah. for yep. a lot of parts of what people just blindly walk past and mm. think that it's just it's just there. But they blindly walk past it, but deeper, they're not blindly walking past no, it. No, subconsciously it's all going in. And it's all going absolutely. in. Absolutely. And, and affecting mood and yep. all yep. sorts of things. I think that's what's really important about the work that you're doing, Stephen, in therapeutic horticulture and the research that you do, Sandra, as well. Yep. And even as designers, you know, 
uh, the therapy that horticulture offers people. Yep. And it's something that's so ingrained in humans to experience relief from nature that uh, sometimes it doesn't need much interrogation, but raising the profile of that value is so worthwhile. Yeah. COVID has done a bit to help there, Yeah, which is maybe one good thing that's come out of it. But but yes, it's definitely being talked about more, which I think is great. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. We've come to the end of the show. It's, It's raced along. Um, So a big thank you to our producers, Bern and Tom. Uh, Thanks to Liz for doing our socials. Thanks to Stephen Wells, Sandra Schwartz and Evan Golke for sharing your gardening expertise with me today and our listeners. And thanks, of course, to our listeners for tuning in to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, My name's Emma Hurd and it's been lovely talking gardening with you all. Cheerio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.